Michael Barrett is the president and CEO of Gay Lee, the dairy processing cooperative. As he gets ready to retire in 2023, I ask him to reflect on his career and on the past and future of the dairy industry. My name is Mike Von Masso, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. I asked Michael to, to tell us a little bit about his career, how he got to where he is now as president and CEO of Gay Lee, but then also to talk a little bit about how he has seen changes in the dairy industry over his two dozen plus years uh, in the processing industry and what he sees to come for the dairy industry. I'm sure you'll find it as interesting as I did. Hello, Michael. I really appreciate you taking the time to come visit with me today. Oh, great. It's great to be here and I appreciate the opportunity. So, uh, Michael, we're, we're at a stage here a little bit where you've, you've announced your retirement uh, as the head of uh, Gay Lee and uh, you're looking, we're, we're going to take a bit of time and reflect and look back. But why don't you sort of tell us, how does someone get to the position you are today? Give us a little bit of a view of your, of your history. Well, uh, Mike, it, um, it's a convoluted history for sure. I'm certainly not your, I'm not your typical uh, CEO uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, I don't have the Bachelor of Commerce. I don't have the MBA. You know, I am a history teacher and geography teacher and economics teacher by training. And uh, I guess the old saying, those who can't uh, teach become a trustee and those who can't really a trustee, I guess, become CEO of a, of a cooperative in, in uh, Ontario. So, but certainly my my pathway hasn't been a straight one. And indeed, I did start life out as a history teacher and unfortunately graduated at the wrong time in life. And uh, for me, human resources was the next best thing in the sense of the training, teaching, interaction with people. And after we had our fifth child, I know I needed a career change. I needed benefits and we needed, uh, we needed birth <laughs> control. So uh, I needed to get a full-time role. And so I migrated to, uh, to human resources and uh, I worked for an excellent uh, organization that believed in training individuals and have them move around the organization. So not only did I work in human resources, but I worked in operations. I ran a chemical reactor. I did supply chain. I did... Uh, software implementation. I did customer service. I did finance. So I really had an opportunity to be able to move around an organization. And then uh, they got bought out by a holding company and knew that if I wanted to be able to continue a pathway, I had to leave. And that's when the opportunity 23 years ago came open at Gailey Foods. Um, I knew what Gailey Foods was. I didn't know it was a co-op. Came in for the interview, uh, had no clue uh, what it meant to be farmer owned. And I was fortunate enough to get hired uh, by Brian Ashford 23 years ago. He said, I always, you know, I always reminded him of himself. I don't know what that meant, but literally through another great organization, got the opportunity to do many different things, you know, member relations and software implementation and supply chain, becoming COO, working with a fantastic uh, predecessor, Andy McGilvery who allowed me to dream bigger than what I would have imagined, Mike. 
And uh, when he retired, I had the opportunity to apply for and uh, receive the opportunity to be able to lead Gay Lee. If you had asked me when I joined Gay Lee Foods, did I have an ambition to become president and CEO? I would have said absolutely not. I wanted to be a VP of human resources. If you had asked me that I would become an advocate for or at least somewhat knowledgeable about dairy, I would have said that was not in my dreams. Uh, but certainly from being here for well over two decades, I've certainly come to appreciate the dairy industry, the people that uh, contribute to it, and the hearts and the dreams and ambitions of individuals that make it work. So I've been very, very fortunate. I've been very, very lucky as well. Yep. I make the same arguments about myself, Michael, that, uh, and people tell me that, uh, you know, people make their own luck. It's interesting to me, to a significant degree, that when I teach operations to a Bachelor of Commerce students, I tell them that you might not love operations, but if you want to be CEO, you'll spend some time in operations. And I loved how you talked about spending time in all facets of an organization to really learn the depth and breadth of that organization and how it can can really prepare people for success and for interesting careers. Yeah, and I would certainly agree. And so certainly for myself, I mean, I started as, uh, you know, I'm from a blue collar family. I was the first in uh, my uh, family to go to university. My mom and dad uh, didn't even complete high school. And so I started out as a blue collar worker, like literally working the graveyard shift from seven o'clock at night to seven in the morning, you know, running a reactor. And uh, I'll tell you, I learned a lot, not only to your point about how an organization works, but also how people work and how it is the bedrock. I mean, Gailey Foods is definitely an operations-driven organization. 14 plants, you know, of uh, 1,300 employees, almost 1,000 uh, work in our plants or in our warehouse. You know, as I always say, you're either champ or chump in operations. And if it yep. works, yep. Gailey works. And if it doesn't work, the organization doesn't work. So it is the bedrock, especially in, in dairy, especially in something. Like during COVID, when we were working at home and things of that nature, uh, you know, our hourly workers still had to come in because I haven't been able to figure out how to make cottage cheese in a bathtub at home and still have the meet <laughs> CFIA regulations and standards. So, yep. So it's critically important. And you gave me a really nice segue into my next question, because you came in to the business without a strong foundation in ag or ag generally or the dairy business specifically. What surprised you about the dairy industry when you joined? Well, I'll tell you, I, I knew nothing about supply management, had no clue. Now, I wouldn't say I was totally ignorant about ag, but I was about as ignorant as you could get. You know, sir, everybody likes to be able to draw connections. You know, I had an uncle or I had a grandfather in agriculture, so that makes me the ability to be able to talk. But, you know, literally my ag background was very slim. But, you know, what has impressed me and what I learned about the dairy specifically is, you know, I worked for a petrochemical business. So I, you know, if I was in charge at one point of, ordering ethyl acrylate out of Barberville, Kentucky, 
I just had to be able to pick up the phone and order another tanker load uh, if we sold a little or sold a lot. Certainly one of the things I became very well aware of very quickly is that uh, that's not the way it works. You don't shut a cow off. You don't uh, not accept milk today and take it tomorrow. And I think that the second piece is, I mean, I always understood this theoretically, but practically when I was able to get on the farm, when I was able to spend a lot of time on uh, our members' farm, just recognizing that this is just not an economic model. It is also as much a social model, a rural sustainability model. It's a familial model. It is about a lifestyle as opposed to an occupation. And theoretically, Mike, I would have understood that, but not until you touch it. And I would say the last thing is farming, agriculture, dairy. You might have entered it saying, well, this is a fairly simple business and industry. It is far from simple. It is much more complex than anything I ever did in my past life. And when I talk to people about supply and costs and the uh, permeate and the way streams, uh, the opportunities, uh, worldwide trade, trade restrictions, KUSMA, this is not for the faint of heart. It is as much a calling as it is a textbook. And so those are three things that I guess I learned to mature into. Yeah. It's interesting to me because I think, and you know, you've heard me speak about it before, that that people don't have a good sense of how food is produced and what it is. But I think it's profoundly important for people to recognize how technical agriculture generally and dairy production specifically, these are highly skilled managers and not just people walking around with shit on their boots, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, which is to a degree, I think, the perception that people have, that the management of nutrition, the management of reproduction, the management of cash flows, the management of technologies, all of these things on almost any kind of farm are profoundly important. And the types of people who do these jobs are not sort of sort of this romanticized version uh, that many of us have. No, you're absolutely right, because all those things that you have talked about, whether it's equipment repair or agronomy or rain, like saving water, you know, animal uh, husbandry and health. I mean, this is just not about you come in and learn a job uh, to come in and learn how to make cottage cheese. This is definitely a lifetime of, of learning. And it's more than just getting up at 5 a.m. It's about actually trying to shut it down, you know, at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. in order to be able to make it work. But the skill sets, and it gets more and more complex, as you're very well aware, you know, with uh, computer logistics, you know, things of that nature, it becomes more and more complex all the time. Running dairy is one thing for sure, uh, but certainly on the family farm. It's not the same as when my Uncle Lloyd used to milk 18 cows, and had the pigs for all the permeating uh, the away. So life has changed dramatically yeah. since that point. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that that's again a perfect segue, Michael. What have you seen change in the dairy industry in the twenty plus years you've you've been involved with it? Yeah, and it's a good question because I would say that certainly 
um, I'll go back to the, 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 the concept of complexity. Because even though I've only been here involved for you know, a little over two decades, the industry has gotten more conf- complex. Like, say, for example, let's take whey, for example. You know, whey is certainly a necessary byproduct of dairy. And when I started in 1999, whey had no value. Whey was a waste product. Uh, whey was uh, something that uh, is a necessary evil. And now today, whey is highly traded, highly valued, and something that we are now getting, and when I say we, I mean the industry, are getting much more uh, value out of where we wouldn't have got it before. So just the complexity, uh, you know, that old adage that if the wastewater has uh, some white in it, it still has some dollars in it. And we still are discovering all the attributes and value of milk. And we still haven't scratched it. But to me, whey is a very good example. The second piece back on the complexity is certainly uh, the element of the, the politics of, of dairy it has changed and become quite complex. Now, I'm sure... Again, being the history teacher, and I'm probably the only person that has read all these books on the establishment of supply chain and read every single minute book of Gailey Foods and a voracious need to be able to understand. And I recognize that back in the early 60s and the mid-60s when supply management was established, the milk marketing boards were put together. I mean, it was a complex system that certainly did not uh, you know, serve farmers and dairy farmers well. So it was a complex new system then. Today, however, when we're looking at, you know, the dairy is being discussed, you know, at the tables, that the president of the United States, past the president of the United States, you know, comes out publicly and attacks our system where CETA is example negotiated and import quotas are necessary and our industry becomes part of the trade table discussions. I mean, we probably didn't envision that way back in 1965 when we were trying to protect the fluctuation in pricing and supply for not only dairy farmers, but for the industry. There, you know, you have to be involved in the politics of milk globally, you know, that New Zealand is being able to put forward a challenge along with the United States. Who would have envisioned this? Now, it doesn't mean that we haven't been moving in that direction, um, but it's just, it moves faster. The flywheel's moving much quicker. And milk milk is big politics today globally. And so that has changed, you know, quite dramatically, even in the two decades that I've been here. And I guess the last complexity is the cost the, the price of being able to uh, to run and satisfy customers, the cost of investment. You're not talking at $10 million. You're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, but also on the farm. I joke with uh, some of my members when they say to me, they, they talk about their debt load. It could be the cost of robots, a tractor. You're not buying a tractor for $2,500 anymore. And, uh, you know, you're spending three, four, five hundred thousand. I, I went to one member's place and he had lined up all his tractors, all his 
you know, from one end of the barn to the other. And it will probably be more dollars of debt or wealth than I'll ever see in my whole life. But that's the reality of what it's costing, not only for our, our farmers and our members, but also inside a factory as well. You know, it's not a $5 million project. It's a $50 million project. It's not a new dryer for $45 million. It's a new dryer for $350 million. The cost yeah. of dairy with the demands of the marketplace, change in the marketplace, it just become more and more complex all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not any less exciting. You know, still love yeah. the case. Uh, but there has been more complexity. You have to have more bowling pins in the air to juggle than you had to before. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. I, and I agree with all the, all the things you said. And, and there's a couple of perspectives I hadn't thought about. One thing I'm surprised that you didn't say, and I think is sort of as a processor, is sort of something that people don't think about relative to the dairy industry is the relative demand of components. And, you know, people think about milk and they think about dairy production, but as a processor, they, you know, you talked a little bit about whey, which is a byproduct, you know, in the seventies, before your time in the, in the industry, we were sitting on warehouses full of butter because butter was considered unhealthy. And then all of a sudden butter is cool again. And that component of, of milk has become more in more attractive. And we have this swing between different managing those components, I think has become ever more important, hasn't it? It has. And that's where I was kind of alluding to when I talked about whey, uh, because some of those components that we, that had no value even 20 years ago today has incredible value. And you're right. I mean, it's not that long ago we were sitting on mountains of butter. In fact, they used to call the, uh, when C, uh, pardon me, the CDC used to control the purchasing of the surplus powder. It used to be literally entitled mountains of powder and it was warehouses full yeah. of powder. And today, like we're running short of a powder and the nutrients, the skim, the MPIs, MPCs. We're talking about products that didn't even exist 30 years ago that today are key components of being able to uh, to add to be able to add value to the food change, WPCs and WPIs, just incredibly traded commodities that we would not have considered. And, and again, we still have yep. the staples. We still sell a lot of cream in this province. We still like our double doubles yes, and our triple triples. We still eat an awful lot of ice cream. We continuously expand our desire for cheese. You know, the whole thing you talked about butter. You know. We can almost mark the line in the sand, Mike, when that Time article, Time magazine article yeah. came out that, you know, butter is back and the continued growth that we've seen over the last six or seven years. Uh, certainly from that, it's become very complex. Again, understanding that we have to operate all this within a supply managed system that needs to balance the well-being of farmers and the demands of the marketplace. So, very cool. And you're now stepping away from this role come the end of January. Let's take a look in, in Michael's crystal ball for a second. What do you see as some of the both opportunities and challenges facing the dairy industry in the coming years? Well, certainly I'm going to title one of them consumers. And I'm going to title entitle it because there's a couple of uh, 
roots to that tree stump. Not only is it about changing demands and a changing demographic demand, you know, fluid milk continues to be able to uh, uh, to be on the decline. It has been on the decline globally, south of the border, in Canada, except for that blip during COVID when we had started to eat at home again. Uh, but the, that changing demand is is a challenge. But also on the same thing, it's the the changing demands for uh, sustainability on our farms, not only from the sustainability from the farm, but also sustainability from an industry. Um, and, and again, the Dairy Farmers of Canada put, have put out the, the goal of uh, zero emissions by 2050. Uh, I know that DFO and all the other organizations are working towards that as well. But that will continuously be a challenge because we've seen the outcome of changing demands. We've seen it in New Zealand with uh, farms being forced to shut down, less milk production, where you know the demands of the ecology is beginning to curtail milk production. We're seeing it in the European Union as well, uh, where farmers are beginning to sell off because of the demands of uh, the, and the needs of being able to balance you know sustainability ecology with sustainable farming. Um, so, and that's as much of a consumer demand as is an, is an ethical demand as it is a moral demand that will continue to be a challenge uh, for us. The, you know, the use of water, land, things of that nature are going to be a, a critical uh, changing component that this industry is going to have to continue to deal with. And even like when I talk about the sustainability and the packaging standpoint, you know, this industry uses a lot of, although albeit recyclable, packaging components that have a life long beyond their usefulness. And there needs to be yeah. opportunity there uh, to be able to, to address that. But I don't want to paint gloom and doom either because I'm actually very excited. And I can point to like our success at Gailey. I can point to success of others that uh, there is a lot of opportunity. We still have not truly understood the full components of milk and their attributes. There is a need for uh, dairy globally in order to be able to provide that uh, that protein and those nutrients. Uh, we see marketplaces opening up. We're looking at uh, being able to, you know, use milk as a, as a tradable commodity uh, that would continue to be able to add value when we're talking about global hunger and nutrients. Um, there's a lot of exciting things in in dairy. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm quite, you know, people say, oh, you must be pessimistic. No, but far from it. I had one CEO of a, of a competing company said, oh, I bet you wish you never built your cheese water dryer. And I always say, I wish I had built two dryers, <laughs> not one, uh, because it, it, there's a lot of growth and need. And uh, so we have challenges, but there's a lot of success. And I think that the growth that we've seen in quota over the last, uh, you know, six, seven years has certainly given rise to that that optimism. It's still an essential, rooted industry that's necessary for for rural sustainability as well. It's a critical component of maintaining our communities and a lifestyle too. So. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and I agree with you on on all of the points you raised. I'm going to raise one more before before I let you go here, and and it's 
what one of the things we're seeing in a lot of other commodities, and this will be an interesting perspective from a processor, is much more sort of diversity of products with different attributes, whether it's how it's produced, whether it's what's in there, whether it's fortified, whether, you know, and, and we're seeing it a little bit with, you know, the ultra filtered milk or the protein enhanced milk. We're seeing it with the A2A2 milks that some on-farm processors are are offering. What one of the things I think is coming is is a real opportunity to add value to protect market share. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was alluding to as well, but you said it much much better than I did in the sense of being able to understand, you know, the consumer demand. That's why I'm saying we haven't scratched the surface of being able to understand all the attributes of milk uh, and dairy. And that will come into your point, whether it's A2. Uh, you know, we also live in the in the goat uh, goat world as well. So there is, to me, there is a lot of opportunities. The only downside is the 36 million people in Canada, which makes innovation a tough sell uh, in the sense of being able to the marketplace and a lot of geography. It's what Wilfrid Laurier always said. Some countries have too much history. Canada has too much geography. And that's always yeah. been one of the issues that we have. I had to work in my history degree in there somewhere, Mike. So, uh, but, oh, it's all good. <laughs> but to your point, you know, there there is a lot of attributes of dairy and opportunities to be able to fill and satisfy marketplaces with an enhanced, enriched, fortified dairy uh, product offering as well. Yeah. Well, good. I would agree with you. There's a ton of opportunity in the dairy industry, and and I appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to me about both your career and uh, the past and future of the dairy industry. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Mike, and I appreciate your uh, your voice on behalf of agriculture as well. It's critical, it's necessary, and welcomed and thanked. Well, thank you very much. The dairy industry has been and will continue to be an important part of a vibrant food system here in Canada and, in fact, around the world. I appreciated the perspectives uh, of Michael when he talked about sort of some of the changes we've seen over the course of his career and some of the things that we anticipate seeing as we move forward with the dairy industry. I think his perspective was interesting and well worth a listen. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast. We appreciate your time and your commitment, and our audience continues to grow. If you enjoyed the episode, please take the time to give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others find us and will allow us to continue to grow our audience. You can subscribe to Food Focus wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or many other different platforms, or you can continue to find it on the foodfocusguelph.ca website where we host the podcast, but also blogs and other features to uh, broaden the discussion of issues around food, agriculture, and the future. Thank you for your time. Look forward to seeing you again soon.